open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to be studying the prophet Jeremiah today. We're in a sermon series called Thus Says the Lord, a study in the prophets. For the last couple of weeks, we were in the minor prophets. Once again, that doesn't mean minor message. That just means minor content. They weren't in the minor leagues. They were in the major leagues for Jesus. But they're called minor prophets because their books are really small. And I was able to read the entire book in the service. We're now in the major prophets, and that's because it's a major portion of our Bible. Just as an example, the entire prophet, the prophetical book of uh, Jonah, had about 40 verses broken up in three chapters. Jeremiah has over 50 chapters, and one of the chapters I'll be reading today has just as many verses as the entire book of Jonah, okay? Major prophet. Somebody say major. Okay, so a lot of goodies in Jeremiah definitely can't get to them all. But what I'm wanting to set up for you guys is that God can speak to you just like he spoke to the prophets, and then you can be a voice like the prophets to this generation. That's all the sermon series is supposed to do. So obviously I can't read every prophet and go through every message, but hopefully I'm whetting your appetite to go back to these men and women. There are prophetical women in the Bible, prophetesses, and to go back and study them and go, wow, look what God spoke to them. God speak to me. Your servant is listening. And then go out and speak that word to others. Now today as we go to Jeremiah, the word that I really want to hit on, if I was to summarize The whole book of Jeremiah, it would be Jeremiah is a prophet to the nations. He's a man that had a word that wasn't only for Jerusalem, Judea, the Israelite people. It was actually for all the nations of the world. Just to give you a little bit of history, he is coming after the Assyrian captivity. So if you remember last week we studied about Jonah. Jonah was preaching in Nineveh. Nineveh was the largest city in the world at that time and was the capital city of Assyria. God gave them a chance to repent, and they did for a short season, but then they turned to wicked and then actually invaded Israel, took over 10 of their tribes, and then there was only two tribes left, Benjamin and Judah. About a hundred or so years later, God says, now I'm going to judge the other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, if they don't listen and repent, and Babylon will take them over, and Babylon was a wicked nation as well, okay? So now Jeremiah is the last of the prophets before what happens called the Babylonian captivity. So he's talking basically about what's going to happen in Judea and and, in this part of Israel at that time with Benjamin, that tribe, what's going to happen to the rest of the nations, and then what will happen at the end of the world. So he's actually giving a lot of end-time prophecy. Now, to kind of compare him to another major prophet, Isaiah, who I'll be coming out of uh, Isaiah next week for our Christmas service, so make sure you come, same time, same place. We'll have a lot of interesting things going on with our children. It will be fun. Great time to bring your friends and family. But Isaiah came before the Assyrian captivity, talked about nations, and also the end times. Jeremiah comes before the Babylonian captivity, talks a lot about nations and the end times. Now, the major difference between Jeremiah and Isaiah is that Jeremiah actually lives through the captivity. So Jeremiah is actually there when the Babylonians come to capture the city. He's there when everything goes down. He's actually a part of that. Uh, Just to give you an idea of some history about this, the Israelites got so tired of him talking about judgment that they threw him in a pit, and it was the Babylonians that actually took him out of the pit. 
They said, hey, you were only doing your job. And yes, it was all true because we're here now kicking everybody's butt. The least we could do for you is take you out of the pit that the Jews threw you in because you were telling them about us coming to invade you. So that just tells you kind of the world he was in at that time. I mean, literally what he was calling evil, everybody was calling good. What he was calling, e- uh, what, what they were calling good, everybody else was calling evil. Uh, you know, according to the word of God, it was, it was his definition of good was for their evil. What their definition of, of evil was, it was for good. Does that make sense? I think I got confused there. But he lived in a world where everything was turned upside down. Now, I want to just bring you right to the beginning of the book. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. You can follow along on the notes or in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 now tells us how God comes to him and at the age he's brought this word. So this is really cool if you like to see young people get on fire for Jesus. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. How many have heard that part of the verse before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you? Is that familiar to most of us? And the reason why it is, is because we love to take things out of context and just rip things out the Bible and apply them wherever we want, put them on bumper stickers and, you know, on your refrigerator, now memes, that's the new thing, you know? And and it's cool because you can apply this to your life. I'm going to show you how in just a moment, but sometimes we forget like what that literally meant, like what that meant to an actual person named Jeremiah. What that meant was he was eventually going to be thrown in a pit. What that meant was is that a nation was going to take over his nation, what that meant is that he was going to be hated by pretty much everybody in his life, okay? So when it's talking about, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb and I formed you, that may still be a scary thing, okay? That may not be like, I knew you in your mother's womb and you're going to be a millionaire. It, It could be, I knew you in your mother's womb and you're about ready to lose your job. Okay, so the idea isn't that God is ever taken by surprise by the things that happen in our life, even unplanned pregnancies. If you're here as an unplanned pregnancy or a parent didn't want you or if you've been rejected, you were still planned by God. That's what it's trying to say. And Jeremiah needed that kind of a calling right at the beginning because of the rejection he's going to face, because nobody's going to like him nobody's going to want him around. He even says, woe like unto my mother for even having me. Let me give you another thing I forgot to say. Jeremiah wrote an entire book about how sad he was called Lamentations, a lament. Uh, It is just chapter after chapter, not a depressed man. He was balanced in his emotions, but just how hurt and brokenhearted he was through the whole entire process. So, So that's what God had to get him to understand right at the beginning is Jeremiah, I want to tell you something, but before I do, before I tell you about how weird and crazy this is going to get, I want to tell you, I got you. And that's where we need to stop right now, and we need to understand that God's got us. That whatever crazy scenarios that come ahead of us, and and let me just say, I'm not saying that everybody's going to go into a pit, lose their job. There may be some movers and shakers here. Amen? I hope there are. You're getting things accomplished, being successful. But even in that success, you're going to face things that you weren't necessarily prepared for in one sense. Like who's prepared to, to bury their child right now? You're just ready for a child to die. 
Like, I'm ready. No, come on, let's be honest. So, so that would even apply in your most successful times of life. Bad things can still happen to you, okay? So whatever you're going through, like, you know, uh, you know you're, you're, let's say you're making a million dollars, and then all of a sudden they give you the, the bad diagnosis. You have cancer. Who's ready for that? Like in the natural, you're just not. So the idea is no matter what we face in ministry, what we face in life, what we face physically, listen to it, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God is saying, I know you. I know you before you face cancer. I know you before you lose a child. I know you before you become this great man or woman of God. Or, or I know you. Somebody say, God knows me. Amen. And then he said, I, I, know, I knew you and I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, as any good pastor, I want to show you how that applies to you so that you don't think now I'm making the same mistake that some, you know, weak-minded Christians do just by pulling things out of context and applying it wherever they want and just throwing it where it sticks. I want to show you that this verse applies to you right now. Let's go to Psalm 139. And let's Let's see if God knew you like he knew Jeremiah. How many believe God knew you like he knew Jeremiah before you were even born? Before you were a twinkle in your mom or dad's eye? Look at Psalm 139, verse 13. This is David speaking, the psalmist, and it can apply to everybody. For you created my inmost being. Who created us? God. God created us. So that would account for you now, right? So was anybody here created in a laboratory? Okay, so everybody here is a creation of God. Yes, it comes through the procreation of our parents, but how we're formed comes from God. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Have you ever stopped and just thought about how amazing childbirth is? I mean, it is amazing what God does with those cells and brings the body together. What a miracle. And it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, when we see the word fear in a, in a phrase like fearfully, a compound word like that, we might think like, oh, I'm afraid of you. Look at you. Oh, did you, did you brush your teeth this morning? Or what happened to your hair? Like, no, no, no. The word fearful there is the word we would use like awesome. Not like I'm afraid, like, like I am so fearfully made, I'm afraid of myself or I'm afraid of you. What fearfully means is that we are made in an awesome way. And if you think about it, like you are just moments from just falling apart. Every skin cell could fall apart. Every part of your body could fall apart. God holds you together by the principles of nature. And so in that sense, it's awesome. It is awesome that your body is holding together, that the universe is holding together actually, right? And then you specifically, like your eyes are working right now. Isn't that awesome? They move according to your brain. And then your brain is, is an amazing organ and your heart is beating without you thinking about it. And actually, what's funny is if you start thinking about your brain, you start thinking about your heart, you can actually make yourself afraid because you'll be like, man, that, that's such a fragile little organ in there. What's making that heart beat right now? What would happen if it stopped beating? Is my brain okay? What if there's one part of my brain, you know, that's not working? How many ever get freaked out sometimes, right? But so, so the idea is that that is how awesome it is. That is how awesome it is. And of course, we shouldn't be afraid of learning about it or thinking about it. But man, if you just step back and go, how am I in this body right now living, walking, talking, thinking? It is awesome. 
we are fearfully and then wonderfully made. And you can just take that word wonderful and apply it in all the different ways we would think. You know, things are wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to walk upon this planet. I mean, I know it's fallen and it shouldn't be the way it is right now. But, I mean, there is nothing like walking on the beach, sunrise or sunset. There is nothing like hanging out with your friends and having a good meal and, and, and enjoying food. We were meant to eat and enjoy food. Can I hear an amen to this? Don't ever take for granted your life. So this is not just for Jeremiah having a special call and God saying, I knew you, but everybody else, uh, you know, this is not that important. No, every single one of us were created and knit together in our mother's womb by God, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then let's keep going. It says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So that's where it's okay if the preacher takes a moment to talk about you being fearfully and wonderfully made. You should know that full well. And I know it sounds goofy, and it may sound like a Saturday night skit, Saturday night live skit, me looking at myself in the mirror and doing this, but I actually do. I wake up in the morning, I look at myself in the mirror, and I go, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know it sounds funny, and it's like I'm supposed to add on to that, and people like me, and I like me, and like, you know, that's an old Saturday night live skit. Anyways, but guess what? You should be able to say, I know this. I know that I am made special, and especially our children should know that as they learn to identify with their bodies and they go through their growth developments, and not only for children, but as we get older. Because we lose our, our hair, we lose the color of our hair. Women, we lose some of that beauty that the world says is beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like things start to change. Men, we lose our strength. And, and to the day, from the day we're born to the day we die, we should be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And let me just say this as well, as I feel the Holy Spirit wanting to say this. That's what we should say to every child at conception. Every child at conception. That's why we're against abortion, because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And everybody look up at me, please, because we're all going to be there. Unless you die of natural causes, all of us will be in a nursing home, and, and, and people will lose their mind in nursing homes. And it's, it's sad if you've ever been there, what the body does when it's breaking down as it's dying. We should be able to look at old people, even when they can't say it themselves, and we should say, great-grandma, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You still have dignity. Even though, and I say this in all sincerity because I watched my grandmother have Alzheimer's, lose her mind, drink out of a straw, and eat her meals that way. But we should literally be able to look at grandma with stains on her shirt from the pea soup she had to drink out of a straw after she walked in circles, didn't recognize me or my mom, her daughter. We should be able to look at grandma and say, grandma, you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. You got a new body coming. You have a new life that's coming. Just hang on. Even if you can't understand everything I'm saying, Grandma, hang on. And let that be a warning to all of us. Some of us think when, they, when we get older, we're going to repent. How do you even know you're going to have your mind when you get older? How do you know when you're going to lose your mind, my friends? Live for Jesus when the day is, is now. The time is now when you have your mind now. And, of course, we never know if we're going to die in a car accident. I'll just read through these next ones quickly. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Now listen to this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
God knows about every single page of your life before you ever got to page one. Come on, somebody. Isn't that amazing? Before you ever lived out page one of your book, God knows the last page of your book. Now, I have to say this right here to guard God's integrity because what a lot of people then say is, well, that sucks. I mean, then why did he let it happen then? I mean, if he knew that this was going to happen on this page and then this was going to, man, he must be a terrible author. Listen, listen, listen. The Bible's very clear. We've talked about this in our worldview series starting in the first three chapters. The Bible's very clear. It was never his intention for you to experience one day of evil. But because mankind has sinned, evil is here now. So he is making the most out of evil, but never approving evil. So those of us who have had evil done to us, especially the innocent as children, maybe you're here today and you have had evil done to you and you're wondering how in the world could there be a God that knew the first three chapters of my life would be absolutely devastating. Let me tell you, God's got an end for you that is unimaginably good. Hang on through it because if you give up on God for those first three chapters, listen, the pain never goes away from the past and then you're going to find out on judgment day that you fell for the lies of the enemy because it's, it, the pain was still there, right? I mean, we're, we're talking real life now. The pain was there. That's done. It's done. The Holocaust is done. ISIS is done. Evil is still here. It's done. You getting upset and shaking your fist at God is not going to do anything about it. So now do you trust God that he's got a plan through the pain that all things will work together for your good? And that the cross says to every one of us, I know your pain. What does Jesus shout from the cross by his actions? Not necessarily by the words. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And yes, that could be applied to every evil that's ever been done against innocent people. But what did the actions of the cross tell hurt people? I understand your pain. That's what it says. That's why in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, he carried our burdens. He took our sorrows. God did not have to do that. So if you ever want to know what does my pain mean to God, go back to the cross and look at it for a little while. And if you don't like looking at white, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, look up Latino Jesus. Amen. I'm sure there's got to be a picture of Latino Jesus. And if you want black Jesus, get black Jesus. Amen. Asian Jesus, get because it doesn't matter. You get what I'm saying? But look at the cross. That's how serious God took your pain. That's how serious God took our sin. Can I get an amen? So yes, he's got your whole life already written out. Now, once again, somebody may say, well, does that mean I have a choice in the matter? Yes. Just because God knows what you're going to do doesn't mean he's going to make you do what you do. Okay? Even though God knows what you're going to do, he's not making you do it. Let's keep going. Yes, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Have you ever felt that nobody cared about you? I'm just being honest. Fathers can feel that way. Mothers, you can be in a big family and still feel alone. So I'm asking that question. I don't need an amen. I don't need hands raised, but I just want to make sure you hear me today. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like you're just wondering? You're not an atheist. You're not, you know, worshiping the devil, but you're just wondering, does God even care? I mean, have you been there? 
Have you been next to somebody at the hospital bed and you're just asking, does God, does God care? Is he in this moment? Have you ever been at, you know, the site of a breakup or a divorce or maybe you're the one going through it and you're asking yourself, does God even care? Maybe you're the child watching it go on and you're like, does God even care? This is God's promise to us. This is God's literal promise to us that if you and I ever doubt God's love, we are to have, we have his permission to go on vacation or at least a partial vacation. We have his permission to find the nearest beach and start counting sand. Because every grain of sand we can count, we're supposed to apply that to a thought that God has for us about how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. So let me ask you a question. I'm not saying every problem you're facing right now is your fault, but I'm asking you, when was the last time you walked the beach and counted sand and applied it to God's thoughts of love for you? Because that could be a major reason why right now you're still in that funk if you're there. Because your stinking thinking is not going to get you out of it. Just like they tell you in psychology, just like the counselor would tell you, sometimes you need to stop thinking to yourself and start talking to yourself. Because when you're thinking to yourself, you're just letting the thoughts just run through you. Sometimes you need to start talking to yourself and telling yourself things. Instead of just sitting and receiving every bad thought that you've ever thought about yourself and letting them wash over you, you need to say, hey, I'm going to tell myself some things. I'm going to tell myself right now that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to tell myself that there's a God that's thinking about me today. I may not be able to see him, but I can see his effects because how in the world is this skin even staying on? How is my breath even coming through my lungs right now? How is my heart beating? There must be someone that knit me and formed me to be this way. And I'm not going to let what I'm thinking or feeling take away what that truth is because God, I know you think about me more than there are grains of sand on the beach. And when I awake, I am still with you. That means, God, you're even with me when I go to sleep. And you know how scary sleep is when you think about it? You shut down your entire body except just for the essential parts. I mean, rapid eye movement, REM sleep. I mean, your brain is doing a whole bunch of stuff right there, and that's why sleep's important for us. And you have to trust your body is going to get back up. You could die in your sleep. I mean, you, you are so intricate, to go back to this, you are so fearfully and wonderfully made that if one major organ, just one of them, your lungs, your heart, your brain, just one of those major organs just shuts down for two to five minutes, you're done. And yet you go to bed every night and you wake up every morning and the Bible says you're supposed to do that being thankful to God that he knows you, he cares about you and that, oh, he's still with you. So when I went through this, I go through these problems and I have to fall asleep and I can't control this situation anymore. I'm just going to go to bed now and trust that just as God takes care of my body, God will keep making the world go round. God will talk to these people who don't like me. And when I get up, he'll still be there because he's been there all night long. Woo, come on, somebody. That will encourage you. So going back to Jeremiah chapter 1, the Bible says God knew Jeremiah. Are we applying it correctly when we say God knows you? Yes or no? Come on, I need your input here. This is what I need you to talk. I said, we go to Jeremiah, we hear that God said, I know you, Jeremiah. I now am saying God knows everybody. I have taken you to Psalm 139 to prove that point. Has that point been proven? 
Or is it only God knows Jeremiah, God only knows special people in the Bible? Does God only know them or does God know everybody? Amen. Now the question is about the call to be a prophet. Is that just for Jeremiah or certain people or is that for everybody? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. How many have read Acts chapter 2 before? Amen. You know where I'm going then, don't you? This is why we're Pentecostals. Those who like to, to ask the question, you know, what, what's a Pentecostal? Well, a Pentecostal is a person who relates to the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2 that was a Jewish holiday. On that partic- particular day, on that specific day, the Holy Spirit came down on those disciples. They spoke in other tongues, began to do miraculous works for God. And so now Christians say we are a certain branch of Christianity because we relate to that day. Guess what the Baptists relate to? Baptism right? Baptism in water. They relate to the baptism in water. That's why they're called Baptists. Now, we're all Christians, and we relate to Christ, right? So we're not trying to divide and say one is better than the other, but we believe that there are better ways, like the more closer you get to the Scripture, the more closer you'll be to a certain way of living. So the Pentecostal way, the the way of looking at the day of Pentecost through the eyes of Christ, to me, is the better way, but we're all Christians anyway. But track with me here. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and something dynamic happens. Catch this. Peter starts preaching from an Old Testament prophet, a minor prophet that I was considering actually bringing up here in the series. He goes to the prophet Joel. And now he says, what Joel had said way back then was going to happen is now happening today. Let me fast forward and just give you the good part right now, which is this. In the Old Testament, only certain people like the prophets and prophetesses were called to do that. But Joel had a prophet that everybody was going to get some of that good stuff, that everybody was going to get the Holy Spirit in a way to be a prophet, to have a calling. And that's the exact passage that Peter preaches, and I believe it's for us. Look at it. Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 17. Let's go to verse 16. It says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So notice that it was appropriate for Peter to take things of a past message from a prophet and apply it to his day. That's exactly why we're in this sermon series, by the way, right? Taking former words and applying them to this day. So he goes, this is what the prophet Joel said about six, 700 years earlier. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on how many people? Just the prophets? Just the kings? Just the priests? No, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What does a prophet do? Prophesize. You will prophesy. Your old men, uh, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So are you a son or a daughter here today? Let's not get into the gender debate. Let me just ask you this clearly today. Are you a son or a daughter today? Are you living in the last days? Because if 2,000 years ago, Peter says, these are the start of the last days, you're not only in the last days, you're in the last day, right? And you're not only in the last day, you're like in the last hours of the last minutes of the last seconds of the last day. How many ready for Jesus to come back? Amen. So now let's go back to Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter 1. And let's see if I have done right by this passage. And then I want to talk about the call to be a prophet to nations in our final final time here together. But let's go back to it. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, uh, rather before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Does this apply to everybody here now? Yes or no? 
Yes, it does. Let's go through it real quick. Does God know you? Yes. Did God give you the Holy Spirit to be a prophet, to prophesy? Yes, because it's on all sons and daughters. So now we have a job to do. We have an assignment. As Christians, we are not just supposed to look at what we can get from Christianity. That is a beautiful place to start and to always be based in, like God blesses me and takes care of me. I base my life on that. That's all true. We never lose that, but we have to grow from that. We have to grow from that. So my child can always count on daddy giving them food. My child can always know daddy's giving you food. Daddy's going to give you clothes. If you're naked, I'm giving you clothes. Like now until they meet Jesus or I go meet Jesus, my children can count on that. But how many know my children then have to come to a point where they go, now I can feed power unjustly or following an evil course. That's why you're now supposed to be the answer. You are now supposed to be the new voice of the prophets. God is raising up a generation of prophets. In the days of Moses, God used his father-in-law, Jethro, to tell him, you can't do this all by yourself, prophet. You need other helps. So so he said, gather all the, the tribal leaders together, and we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to come on them, and then they can become prophets as well and start being you know, teachers of the law and those different things. Well, guess what? There were some people that didn't come to that Holy Ghost party, but they were prophesying, teaching God's law, and some of Moses' people came and said, hey, there's some guys over here. They got the Spirit of God now too. They're prophesying, but they weren't at the meeting when you were doing it all in order, what are we supposed to do with these guys? Are we supposed to shut them down now? And and Moses said something very prophetic to this generation. He said, no, let them keep going. I would to God, all men were prophets. We are literally living in the time Moses waited for. Some of y'all wish you could go back to the time when Red Seas were parted. Some of you wish for the time that you could go literally see the finger of God and write down Ten Commandments. But Moses was saying, I was waiting for the time when the Spirit would just come on everybody so I wouldn't be the only one or just a few of us. Isn't that why Peter, when he stands up on the day of Pentecost, the first day the church is birthed after the resurrection of Jesus, he sent the Holy Spirit that day. Is it any coincidence he now speaks from the prophet that says, in the last days, all y'all going to prophesy? No, it ties the whole story together. So what Jeremiah is saying here is I look across the land and I see everybody doing it wrong. But God, I know you want to do it right. How many want to do it right with Jesus? Let's look at this next part. I have to skip through some sections here. Let's go to verse 25. It says, I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. This is Jesus talking now. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? Have you ever talked to somebody about God and then they go, well, I don't think God would do that and my God wouldn't do that and somebody over here told me about God doing something like this. The Bible says they're all telling lies now. They're just saying whatever they think they should say and then they're putting on it, well, God said And look at what he says back to these people. He says, verse 27, they think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Now it says in verse 28, let the prophet, and here's the part my mama got for me. Are you all ready for that word? Because it's for you today too, baby. Let the prophet who has a dream recount that dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. 
How many have the word of God today? Now, are you going to speak it faithfully? That's the call that we're all to have. Now, look at this verse. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. God was speaking to my mother through that exact passage right there, and she was saying, Mama, I'm going to break your son's heart in pieces, and then I'm going to build it back up again. Because his heart cannot resist my word. My word is like a hammer, and it's going to shatter everything in his life and bring him to me. And then, guess what? I'm going to give him that same word, and he's going to take that hammer to the nations. And some of y'all know me. That hammer got wild at times. Amen. I was like, boom, boom. I didn't know. I was like playing whack-a-mole. And sometimes I was hitting people I loved and hitting even my own mom and different things. Because when I got saved, I got so on fire. I thought it was my job to tell everybody about hell and forget about heaven. You know, all I was focused on is hell. And you're going there. And everybody's going there, you know. But I forgot all the other nice parts of the Bible, okay. And so over time, God began to show me how to use that hammer correctly. And now today as a 41-year-old man, over 20 years of ministry, almost 23 years of salvation, I am telling you, this word is powerful enough to break into pieces whatever we see going on in this world today. Whatever mindset we see going on, whatever lies we hear being told, whatever deceptions are popular today, whether they're deceptions about sexuality or deceptions about religion or deceptions about you know finances or whatever it is, the rock of God will smash it in pieces. Can I hear another amen? And I just want to end with this. There's so much here. Like I said, it's like 40 verses just in chapter uh, 23. But I want to end with this as Vinny as he comes. Look at what it says there in verse 34. It says, if a prophet or priest or anyone else claims this is a message from the Lord, I will punish them and their household. So that means you're not supposed to say something's from God when it's not. This is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites. What is the Lord's anger? Or what has the Lord spoken? But you must not mention a message from the Lord again because each one's word becomes their own message. So it's like they're saying, man, God's really not angry and he doesn't really care that much about what we say he says. We can make our best guesses. And Jesus is saying back to them, you all just need to shut up because you are actually hurting the gospel now because people hear what you're saying that it's okay and then they hear what my prophet's saying, and then now they think there's a, you know, a debate about it. That's why if you talk to a lot of people today, what do they say about religion? Man, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. Why are they so confused? Because there's been so many lies that have been told over the years. And when they're confused, we bring them back to the word. But let's just keep going quickly. You guys got to hear this because it's important for all of us today. Go down to verse 38. Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You use the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you, you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave you and your ancestors. Look at this. This is so serious. Look at verse 40. Last verse there, guys. Come on, hang in. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. Why is that in so harshly? 
Because he's telling them, if you don't get the word right, it doesn't matter what else you have. You don't have anything in the end. Can I just talk to you about that in 30 seconds before we close? Let me ask you, how important is getting God's word right to you today? Like, like here's your job. Like, here's how important your job is to you in getting that right because you got a boss or you're the boss or a product you're selling, right? Here's how important that is. Here's how important your marriage is. Here's how important your children having clothes and food today is. How important, right here, starting right here, how important is getting God's word right to you? How much effort do you put into getting God's word right? How much effort are you putting into sharing it and clarifying it? And if it turns into a debate, you're down with it, though you're not looking for it, but you'll definitely stand your ground in love. How important is it for you to lose friends? How important is it for you to stand in a culture that's against you? Here's your job. Here's your family. Would you let any friend, come on, would you let any friend get in the way of you being a good parent? Would you let any friend keep you from making money and providing for your family? Would you let anybody in your life take away your ability to get an education or be healthy? Okay, so it's this important, right? It's this important. How important is being a prophet to the nations? Because this is what the Bible says. If you forget about this, I forget about you. You forget about this, I forget about you. You can come to heaven as a great dad and still go to hell. You can come to heaven as a rich businessman and still go to hell. You can come to heaven with all the knowledge in the world, still go to hell. Because if you forget what this is all about, this part about us being made in his image, this part about us being on God's earth, we did not make this place. We didn't put a soul in our body. We're like a ghost in our own machine called the body, and we control. We didn't even put ourselves here, let alone the planet around the, the sun, this star, going around a galaxy, going around the universe. And we think now we're going to say, you're not that important, God. There's other things more important to me. Just give me my space, God. I got family to take care of down here. Come on, think about it. That would be like literally you making an ant that could talk. And you say to the ant, the most important thing you remember, ant, is I made you. You live in my world. These are the things I do for you. And then that little ant with its other little ants go, we don't need our creator. We'll just go be ants by ourselves. Could you imagine just looking down on that ant going, uh, what are you doing? What is so important to you down there? Hello? You don't tell the other ants about me, the ones that are hurting. You just want to get more money from them in your business and sell your products to them. And then you want to have sex with them. Oh, and then you only care about your little four ants over here. You don't care about all the other. Hello? Are you listening? This should be important to you. You're important to me. I'm a prophet, I'm a pastor, and you're important to me. Is this important to you? Because I can't go home and be a prophet now to your kids. I can't go home and be a prophet to your coworkers. I can't, I can't go where you go and be that to others. That's your job. 
And you got a choice. You can sit back and make excuses. I'm too young and I don't know how to talk and I'm so busy and all of this. Or you can do what Jeremiah eventually did and say, God, I'll go where you send me. I'll say what you want me to say because you're worth it. How many believe God's worth it? If you're called to be a prophet to the nations, would you stand up with me? Give it up for Jesus today. Come on, clap like you mean it. Let's praise God for the calling. Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? All those who want to be prophets to the nations, just raise up those hands again and surrender to the will of God. If you already have done something like that in the past, do it afresh right now and say, God, I will be your pastor. I will be your prophet. I will be what you want me to be to the nations. I will be a leader to my family. I will be a leader to my coworkers, to my neighbors. I'll be a world changer, God. In other words, I'll be a Christian, a Christ-like follower. I'll be a disciple, a student of Jesus. Come on, raise up those hands a few moments. Tell God right now, I'm yours, I'm yours. I'm yours, I'm yours, Jesus, I'm yours. If you came here today and you didn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can start right now by just coming from your seat. Someone will pray with you. If you don't want to do that, that's okay. We'll be here after service, but you can even start moving right now. We'll teach you how to confess Jesus as Lord and start keeping his commands. If you came here today and you'd say, Pastor, I've had quite a bit of excuses in my life. Mine may not be the same as Jeremiah's, but I've got excuses Come on up right now and pray with someone today to get rid of those excuses. Coming up shows that you're serious. That's why we do it at the end of every service. So if you're here today and you want prayer to accept Jesus or you want prayer to get over excuses, come on up. Find somebody to pray with you even as I'm talking right now. If you're here today and you haven't experienced a Pentecostal outpouring of the Spirit of God with speaking in other tongues, come up right now and we will pray for you to receive the same power that the disciples did and we're still receiving 2,000 years later. The Bible says we'll speak in new tongues, we'll prophesy, we'll be spiritual warriors for Jesus. And then if there's anybody in this place that would say, Pastor, I am so burdened. I have so much concern for about the people God's called me to reach. I want to touch and agree with somebody else. I'm going to have you come up as well. Right now, you can start to come. Band is going to sing and then we'll dismiss. But right now, start to come up if any of those areas are for you so that we can pray. We want to pray for those who want to accept Jesus. We want to pray for those who want to get rid of excuses. We want to pray with those who want to get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and those who have a burden who want to touch and agree for a certain group of people you're called to reach. Come on up right now in Jesus' name as we close out today.